Amen and amen. First Kings chapter 17. Today we're stepping into a new series called The Alignment with God's Assignment. The Alignment with God's Assignment. Do you realize God has an assignment? Let me give you a, a, just a cliff, you know, cliff notes back in the day when you were in school and you didn't want to read the book, you get the cliff notes. Let me give you the cliff notes. Life's a lot better when you do it God's way. And a lot of people are doing it their way. Some people are doing it their way in the church, and it looks like God's way, but it's their way, and they tack on Jesus in the end of a prayer. Oh, God, I'm getting ready to do this, and I ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. And what we lose, and we think that sounds spiritual, that we're, we're doing something that we're including God. And it's not a matter of including God into your plans. Because when you include God just in your plans, it's still your plans that you're trying to get God to make happen. And you'll find yourself exhausted. You'll find yourself sometimes overwhelmed. And you're like, God, I've been trying to do this Christian thing, and I am just, this is getting hard. Well, you know, if you do it God's way, it shouldn't be hard. Jesus said, my yoke and my burden are easy and they are light. My yoke and my burden are what? They're easy and they are light. It doesn't mean you don't deal with challenges. But sometimes we got to realign how we see it, how we're talking about it, how we're acting upon it, and say, God, am I really doing my thing or am I doing your thing? Because if I do God's thing, then you know what happens? I you, you and I, we step into the, his grace and his ability to do what he's called us to do. When we do our thing, we're begging and pleading and we're doing everything to look the part, to act the part, and we're, we're very surface about it, and we are stressing out to make sure we get every I dotted and every T crossed, and we don't want to mess up in anything. And I'm not saying it's that God's okay with you messing up or living in sin. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes people get so overwhelmed with the external, and it's because they're focusing on getting it right themselves, and they're working it, and they're struggling it, and they're not resting in what God's called them to be. When you rest in who God's called you to be, and you're doing what God's called you to do by his power, then, then it becomes the spirit of ease. Say the spirit of ease. Spirit of ease. I was talking to Brother Ted just about a couple months ago, and he said, uh, he said, Pastor Greg, he goes, I was praying, and the Lord spoke, wanted me to speak this, and said, he's giving you the spirit of ease. I said, it's the spirit of ease. I had to go search that out. And sure enough, it's in the Bible. Jesus said, my yoke and my burden, they're what? Easy and they're light. Easy and light. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I curse and bind every weight that's been put over your life, and I loose the anointing of ease into your spirit person, that you begin to rise up even against the storms of life, and you begin to sense the presence of God and the power of God over surrounding you, overshadowing you, and empowering you in the name of Jesus. Say, I don't need to carry this weight. Say, I don't need to carry that weight. That's why the Bible says to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets you. God doesn't say, follow me, and I'm going to make your life so miserable and so hard. Oh, pastor, doesn't the Bible say, Jesus said it himself, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah, but the cross is not what you thought it was. The devil will tell you the cross is a hard time. The cross is not a hard time. The cross is choosing the will of the Father over your own will. For Jesus said, if it be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but 
your will be done. What is the cross? It's waking up and saying, Father, this is the day you have made. I rejoice in it. It belongs to you. Show me what to do. Guide me. You guide, You open the door. You tell me what to do. You show me what, if you tell me not to do it, I won't do it. Doesn't the Bible say, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's not looking for voices all the time. If you begin to looking for a voice and God can speak to you so clearly, it's like a voice. He can, he does. But if you start off looking for voices, the devil will try to get in there and try to create some confusion. Why? Because if you're not obeying the written word of God, you'll never obey the spoken word of God revealed to your heart. What am I telling you? That you don't have to carry that baggage. Some of us, you ever seen kids going to school and they got these backpacks? And they're carrying, one time I told my daughter, oh, I'll help, I'll take your backpack out to your car. I picked that thing up. It had so many books in it. I thought, oh my goodness. What in the world? That's a lot of weight. She's like, oh, no, it's no big deal. No, you carry a lot of weight for a long time. You, you might get adapted to it. You might get adjusted to it. But it's still a lot of weight on the rhythm of your life. Are you listening to me? Religion has created a lot of weight And the churches are filled with people that have become adapted to it and accustomed to it. And they think it's okay, but they're walking around with this burden. Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, listen, you take the people that are caught in the kingdom of darkness, and by the time you get done, they're seven times worse than before. This, is, this should not be so. This is not the way the plan of the Father is. He didn't call you to leave one prison to go in another. No, he has set you free for whom the Son has set free. Give me some low end up. Whom the Son has set free is is free indeed. That means when you wake up, you don't feel, oh, it's going to be a hard day again. All this weight, all these things I have. No, no, you can wake up and go, this is going to be a good day today. But things are still going on around me I have to deal with. There, there might always be stuff you have to deal with. Why? Because just when you got that problem solved and that giant dealt with, God says, listen, it's not, you know, we can wait for the enemy to attack us, but I don't think that's our mindset. Our mindset is that we are moving. We are advancing the kingdom of God. Just when you took one territory, God said, great, let's take on another mountain. Sure, let's do it. When David saw Goliath, he didn't freak out. He said, what's the reward? Why? Because he knew that the God who delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will be the same God who delivers him the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. Some of us, we're like, oh, I just can't wait to I retire and I can just do nothing. You're 17 years old. You shouldn't be thinking about retirement. Come on. You should be thinking about what, what mountain am I going to take? What new level am I, am I going to? What's my destiny? What do you want to do, God? What great things are you birthing in me? And it's not trying to make up stuff. That's why Hebrews says to run the race set before you. We try to copy people. Ooh, that's good. I'm going to copy and do what everything, everything they've done. Well, you don't want to do everything that everybody's done. You might not be starting where they're starting in their journey with God. If one person's in L.A. and the other person's in Tampa, Florida, you don't want to follow the same directions. Because somebody's going to get wet. But, oh, there's a freedom. Say, there's a freedom. Say, there's a rest. Hebrews 4 says, there is a rest to the people of God. 
while you're walking on your journey to your new promised land, while you're praying and believing for healing, while you're looking for a blessing that you've never seen before, while you're trusting God for a new job, there is a rest to the people of God. We don't have to stress like the rest of the world. We don't have to be like the rest of the world. We're called to come out and be separate. The, Peter says that we're a peculiar people, and that word peculiar is not what a lot of religious people thought it meant. They thought it meant have weird clothes, weird hair, uh, you know I mean, talk weird, don't drive a car, don't, whatever, all the weird, and no, no, that's not what it's saying. It literally means to be a cut above, it, to be so unique that the world scratching our head, what in the world? What is going on with you? Why are you like that? Why, why things are going so well for you? Why are you at such peace? Everybody else is stressing. Haven't you watched the news and heard what they're saying? They might close down again. Oh, what are we going to do? They might shut down the grocery stores. Oh, what am I going to eat? Oh, and you're stressing out. And Jesus said, hey, don't, give your, don't worry about tomorrow. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep and guard your heart and mind. So how in the world can you be so calm? Because you're not like the rest of the world. You're going somewhere. You're going somewhere. And you're not alone. Amen? First Kings chapter 17. If you're not there by now, that's okay. Close up your Bible. Just put your finger in your Bible like you've been there for a long time and hold it and just say, I don't know why we're not there yet. 1 Kings chapter 17, Amplified Classic. Elijah, the Tishbite of the temporary residence of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go from here and turn east and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, east to Jordan, and you shall drink of the brook I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. I want to pause for a second. Notice what's happening. And we've did a message on this before about the power of prayer. James refers to this. Elijah didn't make that up. He literally found in Deuteronomy where God said, if you turn to other idols, I will hold back the rain. And as a prophet, as the voice of God, he knew what was the command of God. And that's why he said, no rain until I give a, a change of word. Why? Because he knew that was the will of God. He wasn't speaking what he was seeing. He was speaking what God was saying. And he was bringing himself into the alignment of the plan of God. But in the alignment of the plan of God, he began to deal with some issues. Have you ever noticed that when you begin to serve the Lord with all your heart, not everybody applauds? When you're like, I'm going to start tithing. Have you ever noticed a bill shows up you didn't expect? From a company, oh, we're sorry, we were doing our, we were doing our, our audit and we found this invoice that never was paid from seven years ago. Throw that one in the trash. So here he is. He has spoken the word, no rain. As a result, there becomes a famine and a drought. As a result, he's living through it too. But because he's living in it doesn't mean he has to live through it like everybody else. And I don't want to spend too much time on that today. But, and God begins to say to him, look at that verse again. Go from here and turn east and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith east of Jordan. Now, on a big picture, and we'll get more into this later in the series, the backstory to this is God is not only using him to bring judgment to the, to the evil, but God is also hiding him. They can't find this guy. They are looking everywhere. They can't find him. 
He shows up when God wants them to show up. And then they still can't find him after that. And you'll find as the chapters unfold, it, it is a great story. I want to challenge you to challenge everything and read it on your own time. I mean, later we're going to find out in the next chapter that the widow he's about to help, he lives in her upstairs room. Let me get back to the verse. Go from here and turn east and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, east of Jordan. You shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Say with me, I have commanded. I I want you to notice two parts of this, and I believe is key elements in our staying in the alignment or getting into the alignment of God's assignment. The first one is direction. Say direction. direction. Notice God said to him, I want you to go over here. I want you to drink from this brook. I want you to stay right there. Say direction. Most people just jump on stuff and they just run. They're motivated and they're reactionary to the problem and not reactionary to the word. Any hint, suggestion, neighbor, news, and we begin to, it's a human nature. We begin to emotionally move, be moved. Our imagination begins to move and all of a sudden we begin to speak different, think different, decide different, and we're being motivated by Stuff that's not in alignment with the word of God. That's human nature. We can grow out of that. And we have to deal with it. That's our flesh that's always going to rise up. Notice what he did. He, he got direction. Before he moved, he got direction. Say direction. direction. Not only was there a direction, but to every direction. And I love this, that a lot of times we miss out. He gets, there's also a demand. Say demand. demand. So on one side I have direction. Say direction. direction. The other side I have a demand. Say demand. Now notice who the demand's for. Again, he said, go to the brook, drink, and he says, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. What's the demand? It's a command. What was the demand? God said, here's the direction. I want you to go here and drink water. Here's the demand. I've I've demanded the ravens feed you there. Now not to go too much into this, but ravens obviously are a bird that don't like to share. And you might be able to surmise where in the world did all this come from? I mean, you could come up, you know I mean? The ravens bring him, we'll see in this verse, bread and meat twice a day. You could call it a hamburger twice a day. (laughs) Now, I could understand where they might get meat. You could say, oh, they just found some roadkill. That's kind of gross. But how do you, if that's logical, how in the world do they get bread? We know they weren't baking it. There's a drought going on, my friend. Now, a couple theological thoughts are, I don't know which one would be right, but it's interesting. One thought is that Ahab loved ravens and had them and would feed them and they would take the food. Another thought is that King Ahab, because he was worshiping other gods, literally had a place where he was offering sacrifice to his raven god. And twice a day he would put bread and meat, which would be the most important thing of that time, since everybody else is starving. And he would offer bread and meat to his raven god, and the ravens would come and pick it up and fly it over and drop it off into the hands of the man of God. I don't know which one. You can pick or choose and not worry about it one way or the other. Sometimes I think we get so caught up on the method that we miss out on the miracle. Right, right. The end of the day, he's being fed. Amen. Why? Because he had a direction from God, and there was a demand from God. God said, go here, 
and I have commanded the ravens to feed you. Say direction, direction. And, demand. and demand. So he did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and dwelt by the brook of Cherith, east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. That's a hamburger. Maybe even with pickles, who knows. And he drank of the brook. After a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Now notice what happened. The, the brook dried up. So where God had sent him by direction began to dry up. Some of us freak out when God leads us to a place and it begins to dry up. And what we tend to do in our human nature is what? When it dries up, we get moving. Because a brook doesn't dry up overnight. So you can only imagine the process. But I want, I want to encourage you when you make major decisions, don't leave, don't move because the brook is dried up. When you move because the brook is dried up, you are moving out of the problem. You're moving because something negative happened. You're moving because it didn't work out the way you expected. Too many people make major decisions because the brook dried up. And I would love to say the brook will always stay flowing, but sometimes the brook will dry up. But he didn't move until he had a direction. I'm not saying sit on your hands and just suffer. I'm not saying sit on your hands and just dehydrate. Well, I guess I'm not going to do anything. I'll just sit here. I'm not going to move. I'm going to be stubborn. I'm not going to move. Because the brook dried up. The pastor said, don't run when the brook dries up. So I'm just going to stay here. No, I'm not telling you just to stay there. I'm telling you to draw, to draw near to him. Because the goal is not for you to run. The goal is for you to run in the right direction. Have you ever been lost before? Now, I am an expert at getting lost. Man, I'm good at getting lost. You got to figure if the glass is going to be half full or half empty. I am, I have great experience at the art of getting lost. If they handed out trophies, I know I would get one. I have no sense of direction. And you don't think that's bad enough. My dad had an amazing sense of direction. I don't know how he did, and I didn't. And he used to, growing up, I remember he would, we'd be driving down the road. He'd say, son, point to Kansas. Where's Kansas at? I'm like, I don't know where Kansas is at. I couldn't tell you where Kansas is at. I have no sense of direction. I come out of a store in a mall, and I'm like, which way did I come from? I have no sense. Oh, just go, have you, has anybody ever given you directions? They'll go this three miles and go north. Don't ever tell me directions by north or south. East or west. To this day, north is up. That's what the textbook said. North is up. South is down. East. I have to think. Where's he? East is to my right. West is to my left. East is right. Not according to the textbook, it's not. East is always to my right. And so if I, and I used to get, before, this is going to age me a little bit, before navigational systems, people say, oh, just go, go south, go east, 
go south, southwest, northern, north, south. It's all just, I have no sense. My dad knew every, he, he, he would literally, we'd go on vacation and he'd drop us off at the hotel and he'd get in the car and purposely get lost because he liked figuring out the town. I'd rather watch TV to get lost and try to figure out. I have no sense to this day if I buy a car. If it doesn't have a navigational system, I am not interested. You can't give me a car without a navigational system. I won't even get it. There's no way because I grew up learning how to drive, and I would get in these crazy neighborhoods and get lost. You know, some of these neighborhoods around here, OMG. I'd be driving late at night, get lost, and when I get lost, I don't know about you, I panic. So I move faster. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? So now I'm not only driving lost, I'm going fast driving lost in neighborhoods. You almost hit a kid. He shouldn't be out on the road at 10.30. <laughs> Crazy. Get lost. And so my theory was, if I ever get to, you get to a crossroad and a sign and the road stops, you got to take a left or right, I always go left. I have resolved in myself to always go left. Then I don't have to ask myself. Because if I ask myself, I have to feel it. And I can't feel it. And I'm lost. So I just go left. I figure if I'm wrong enough, I'll eventually be back. I'll eventually get back. And some of us live our lives that way. We are running at full steam and we accelerate, but we have no direction. And you might be going fast. You might be making up some ground. But if you're not in the right, if you don't have direction, all we're doing is burning time and energy. And that becomes a, a weight because we become panicky in our life. That's one of the things about the peace of God in the, in the destiny of God. You might not see the completion of it. You might not see all the directions of it. Have you noticed Jesus do that to you too? He doesn't get, he, he'll tell you where you're going in destiny. And then he'll do these crazy phrases like, follow me. He told the disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishermen. I believe that's a principle for all of us. Follow him. Follow his word. But I would prefer Jesus to follow you with the itemized list of all the turns that I need to make. Preferably three month advanced of everyone I need to avoid, people I need to talk to, things I need. Have you noticed he doesn't do that? He just says, follow me. Have you ever been in the journey of the day or the week or the month and you know you're going somewhere and you got big plans and you're wondering, okay, God. And I know you've never done that and we get into that panic mode and we begin to look for a, an emotional confirmation. What are you doing? I'm looking for a goosebump. I am not seeing or feeling anything. And when we, are, when we are led by the levels of emotional confirmation, we move out of the lane of Holy Spirit direction. Because we're wanting emotional confirmation to tell us we're on the right path. 
But if you're going to make the journey, there's moments that you'll have an emotional confirmation. And praise God for that. But there's many times you have no emotional confirmation. And you're walking through and saying, man, I'm going through this, but I don't feel it. Kenneth Hagin used to say, if you work on feelings, he said, there's times I get in the pulpit and I don't even feel saved. And some of us think we've backslidden if we don't feel saved. Lord, you must have left me because I don't feel you. But he said in his word, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so to follow the journey, the assignment, and get in alignment, we have to move out of the realm of our feelings. Which way do I feel? Now, he'll guide you by your spirit, but that's not an emotional thing, but that's a deeper thing. And you might get that, that's, that red light stop or that green light, it's going, that's a piece on the inside of you. But a lot of us don't, we, we won't go for that. We'll settle for the first thing that shows up. It's like someone who's wanting to go to, on a date and no one's asked him for four years, and the first ugly dude that shows up, you're like, I'll take him. I want to get married, and he's the only one asking. Yeah, but he's been married seven times. You don't want to mess with that. He's got 14 kids with five different women. You don't want to mess with that. What do we, if we're, we begin to settle for less because we don't understand the direction from above. And we'll look around and do what everybody else is doing. We'll look around and say, oh, this is the way it's going to, you know, when you begin to look around, have you ever noticed that? That's a human nature thing. You walk into a room, what do you do? I don't know if, I can't say everybody does that. I do that. I look around. I want to see what's going on. Walk into a new job, walk into a new restaurant. I'm, I'm checking things out. I'm trying to see how things are operating. And that's natural. But it also can be destructive in your walk with God. Because when you move into the next season, and I'm, I sense this in my spirit so strongly, some of you are at the, the cusp. You're getting ready to step into your new season. That's not going to be for everybody, but it's for many people here. I don't know who they are. You're getting ready to step into your new season, and the awareness of the newness will cause you to, to gravitate on the human side to look around. When Peter stepped out of the boat, he began to step into a new season. And when he stepped into the new season, everything was great until he began to Look around, because when you're walking on water, the next thing you want to do is do a little sightseeing. But the sightseeing, because you're in a new season, can be the detriment and cause you to begin to sink. Why? Because you're not there by your own ability. God will bring you to a place beyond you. And what we have to do is make sure that we stay in alignment with his assignment. And that means we got to keep focus. Set your affection, your focus on things above, not things on the earth, the Bible says. And we have to look and say, I'm just not going to do what everybody else does. I'm not stepping in the next season and say, ooh, look around. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to keep my eye and you. That doesn't mean you're not aware of around, but your priority is him. That doesn't mean you don't sense what's the newness of around, but your focus is still on him and his word. Elijah didn't leave when the water dried up. Elijah moved not based on the emotion or based on the problem. Elijah moved by the word of the Lord. Look at that verse again. After a while, the brook dried up. And because there was no rain in the land, and the word of the Lord came to him, and rise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have noticed this again. Direction. Say direction. direction. And the word of the Lord came to him, says, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Get up, Elijah. Go to this place, and you're going to live there. Notice. 
Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Direction, demand. Direction, demand. Direction, demand. Direction, demand. You know what your responsibility is? Not the demand, it's to follow the And yet we get so caught up in trying to force the demand side of it. It's not your responsibility to do the demand side of it. It's your responsibility to do the obedience to the direction side of it. Even if you don't know how God's going to make the demand side of it work out. God, I'm obeying you, but I don't know how I'm ever going to be blessed. I'm, I'm obeying you, but I don't know how I'm going to get healed. I'm obeying you. I don't see how my marriage is going to be restored. I'm obeying, I'm obeying you, but I don't know how my kids are ever going to start serving you. They're so far out there and on drugs or whatever it might be. God, I don't understand. But it's not your job to understand the demand. Your job is to understand the We get intimidated by the demand and we'll never step into the direction. Oh, that's not possible. Well, if God spoke to your heart and showed you from his word to do it, then follow the direction and let God deal with the demand. I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. She arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her, bring a little water in a vessel that I may drink, and she was going to eat. She, excuse me, and she was going to get it, and he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have not a loaf baked, but only a handful of meal in the jar and a little oil in the bottle. See, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and bake it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. One of the worst plans in the world. At least she was a planner. Elijah said to her, fear not. Go and do as you have said, but make me a little cake of it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, prepare some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal shall not waste away, or the bottle of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. And the jar of meal, many days doesn't mean a few, folks. Many days was basically until the famine was over. Because he lived in that house, next chapter. And the jar of meal was not spent, nor did the bottle of oil fail, according to the word of the, according to the, word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke through Elijah. Direction? Demand. Let me give you another one. Destination. Destination. You know what we tend to do? We don't focus on destiny. Not you. The people are watching online. If we're not careful, we'll get our eyes off destiny and we'll focus on history. When the woman gave him pushback, because he didn't know which woman, he just knew go here, that was the direction, stay there, and he was waiting. He just knew it was a widow woman. It's got to be more than one. They're in a famine. So he was waiting for God to work out the demand as he just simply obeyed. Have you ever noticed as you're in the obedience of direction, not all the demand is done immediately. Sometimes you'll have to, faith and patience, Hebrews 6 12. You have to wait a little bit looking for God to bring out, oh, there she is. And God showed her that's the one. 
And he said, I want you to get some water. And she did. And as he's doing that, he said, Make, we know the story. We just read it. But when she gave pushback, what did he do? He didn't tell her his history. He didn't say, woman, you don't understand the problem. I've been over here at this creek, and I've been getting fed by ravens. And you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, uh, the water dried up, and God sent me over here. That's the story. That's his story. That's his history. What did he do? Look at it again. He told her the potential of destiny. If you do what God, what I'm asking you to do, the Lord will multiply what's in your hand. It will not run out. That's the destiny. Most of us try to convince, when we begin to tell people our history, do you know why you tell the story? You're telling the story to pull people in emotionally because you're trying to move them and get them to agree with you. And you can get a lot of people to agree with you emotionally and come with you on your story. But if they're not from God, they will hold you back. In destiny, we got to be willing to speak what God is saying in the completion of it. And God will gravitate the right people to that story. I don't want people gravitating to my story. I want them gravitating to his story. Do you see it, what I'm saying? Destiny, destiny, destiny. To stay in alignment, our focus is on destiny, the completion. For Jesus is the author and finisher, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and finisher of our faith. Last verse and we're done. Isaiah chapter 55. Verse 10. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return void, useless without results, without accomplishing what I desire, and, and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. Now, I said it quickly, but did you catch it? Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Catch what? The direction, the demand, and the destiny. Let's look at it again. As rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and do what? Making it. Makes it, King James translation. Makes it. The water comes down and does what? It's making the earth produce. That's the demand. That's the demand. That's the, you don't control it. Get out of God's way. He is making the earth, the natural, produce. What am I doing? I'm trying to take off that weight, that backpack of rocks that you've been carrying, thinking that you had to produce what God said. You don't have to produce it. You just have to obey the direction. When you obey the direction, he's the one that makes it happen. You can't make yourself get healed. You can't make people get saved. You can't make your boss love you. You can't make someone give, what are, what are you doing? You can't make it. It's not your job to make it. It's your job to obey the instruction, the direction. And when you're obeying the direction, you're in position for God to do 
When Jesus told Mary Martha, have the stone, your brother Lazarus is dead, remove the stone. And Martha gave pushback and said, Lord, he's been in there by four days now, but he's thinking. And Jesus didn't correct the truth or the, what we call the truth, which is the fact. Jesus said, Martha, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. He called Lazarus, and Lazarus came out. What's my point? Removing the stone did not make the miracle happen. Because if removing the stone made the miracle happen, then removing the stone on anyone's tomb would cause them to be resurrected. What made the miracle happen? Jesus calling. But why did they have to remove the stone? Because they had to give him permission to raise their brother. Removing the stone was the natural action. It was the direction. Because your obedience to the direction, see, God gave us all this thing called the will. He won't force people to get saved. He won't force people to get healed. He won't force people to be blessed. He won't force people to get along. He won't force people to give. He won't force you to do anything. You have a choice. But your obedience to the direction opens up the opportunity. Am I talking to anybody today? Your obedience to the direction opens up the opportunity for him to do what only he can do. It wasn't removing the stone that brought resurrection power. It was removing the stone that says, I'm following the instruction or the direction of you, Lord Jesus. And as I remove the stone, you're going to do what only you can do. When Peter dropped the hook in the water, it wasn't a fish with a coin came because of Peter. It was because Jesus had already commanded. Oh my gosh, people. I want to take, you. it's not your job to make the demand. It's your job to obey the direction. And when you obey the direction, people will come. Good people that you love, that care about you. Oh, how do you think that's going to work out? You don't have to give an answer. Just say, I guess we'll watch and see, won't we? It's not your job to figure it out. It's not your job. Your boss is never going to like you. That's not between you and me and God. That's between God and the problem. He'll change his heart or her heart or he'll remove him or her or he'll open a new door for new. I don't know. It's not my job. All my job is to do is to obey the direction and when I follow the direction, it puts me in a position to receive the God's power because he's making a demand on the earth. What is spiritual can make a demand on the natural, even though your mind, the devil, will tell you, oh, that's spiritual stuff. That's fun for Sunday. That's not what happens in the real world. And that's a lie of the devil because what the devil doesn't want you to know is that the realm of God, the authority of God is greater than the natural world. Amen. He will make a demand. Make it produce. Verse 11. So will my word be which goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, useless, without result, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I had sent it. The word is sent. The word goes forth. The word is the assignment. Elijah didn't walk to that city or to that brook by himself. Elijah was following the direction of the word. And because he was following the direction of the word, the demand of the word made what Elijah could not. What do you think? He's going to take some feed for crows? Here you go, little birdie. Here you go, little birdie. Come eat out of my hand. Now, now go get me some food. 
That was not his job. That's not your job. Some of you are praying for a raise and you were trying to kiss up to your boss, trying to move them emotionally to give you something. I'm not saying don't do a good job. Everything you put your hands to do as under the Lord. But if you step into this dream of, God, I'm going to obey your direction. You told me to give, and as a result, as a seed toward this, and I've obeyed you, then take your hands off it, trust him, thank him, and begin to trust God. You don't, it's not faith without hints is dead. It's faith without works is dead. You do what God tells you to do. That's the direction. He creates the demand, and he keeps you on the line of destiny. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a hand, clap, and praise. Direction, say direction, direction. Demand. demand, destiny. What do we focus on? We're going to focus on destiny and obey the, the direction and trust God to do what only God can do. What only God can do. What only God can do. Lift your hands before the Lord and say, Lord, I just give it to you right now. I cast all my cares on you, for you care for me. I don't have to figure it out. You show me what to do, and I'll, I'll obey. Like Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. Father God, reveal your word to your people. Show them what they need to do. Give us the direction. And as we obey you by your ability, we thank you, you will do the impossible. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and do not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not asking if you know about God. I'm not asking you to join a church, denomination, religion. I'm asking you one question. Is Jesus Christ real to you today in a way that you know for yourself that he's real and he's your Lord and Savior? Only you can answer that. Salvation is not joining a club. It's not trying to be a better person. Salvation is a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you've never heard the gospel that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. And on the third day after he was buried, rose again for us. And if we believe that, if we invite him, he'll wash you clean, give you a brand new conscience, connect you to him. You go to heaven and miss hell. With every head bowed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't, I've never heard the gospel. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I used to be saved, but for whatever reason, I've allowed stuff in my life that separated me from God. Or maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, you know, I prayed a prayer, but I don't know if, it, if that was right. I don't know if I'm really saved, and I want to know for sure that I'm saved. If any of those three are you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Romans 10 says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Revelation 3, Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open up, I'll come in. So it's, it's on us to reach out, to receive what he's already offered. If the Holy Spirit's moving upon your heart, let this prayer come out of your mouth. Mean it from your heart. Say with me. Heavenly Father, I turn to you today. I believe in my heart. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he came to this earth in the flesh, died on a cross for my sins, was buried for me, and on the third day rose again for me because I believe that. I ask you, Jesus,
to come into my heart. Wash me in your blood. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Give me a fresh start. See, Jesus, I don't want a religion. I want a real relationship with you. So I open up the door of my heart and life, and I invite you in to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now look up here. If you prayed that prayer and you meant business with God, just so I know who I was praying with, I want to speak a blessing over your life. But if you prayed that prayer and say, Pastor, that was me who you were praying with. At the count of three, I want you to lift your hands and just look me in the eyes. One, two, three. Pastor, that was me. Thank you. God bless you. Second hand, God bless you. Anybody else? Third, God bless you. Fourth, fifth. God bless you. Anybody else? Come on. Anybody else before I pray? Go ahead and keep your hands raised if you would. Father, for everyone whose hands raised that just prayed that prayer, I speak a blessing over their life. According to your word, I thank you. Your word says they're sealed. Father, I ask you to strengthen them with might by your spirit in the inner man, in our inner person. As they walk out of this building, let them know clearly that they're not only saved, but give them a strength on the inside to say no to sin, to stand up against opposition and temptation, and, and a strength to do what you've called them to do. We set them free in Jesus' name. We call them free in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. God, give me a hand clap, church. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.